afternoon, Can everyone. You hear me? Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Shalom Aleichem. Thank you for uh, joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much, Mrs. Goldman and, uh, and Rachel's Place for hosting uh, this special edition of Chachmas Noshim for Hanukkah Haba Alinu Latoiva. Um, so this year will Be'ezus Hashem be available on TorneyTime.com. Will also be available on Shas Illuminated, and the possibly the OU website, and is now available on podcast. Besiata um, Deshmai, we came out with a new uh, book on Hanukkah, published by Art Scroll. So unfortunately, we can't be uh, in Rabbi Weinfeld Shul. So if anybody wants to uh, obtain the Sefer, it's available on uh, the Art Scroll website. Or please check out, we have a new website, rabbidg.com, where you could get uh, the Art Scroll book as well as a new Sefer on the Tana Rav Meir Balhanes. Okay, so uh, Hanukkah for many people has been relegated to uh, a culinary holiday. If you read through the magazines, you would think that what we do for eight days is we consume high caloric uh, oil-filled donuts, and that is basically the entire Yom Tif. Um, my father always gave me a good uh, piece of advice, that when it comes to those donuts, that's always the best course of action. But the truth is, if we uh, probe a little bit, and we look beneath the surface, we will discover great depths and untapped areas of the Yom Tif of Hanukkah, as well as uh, Kala Torah And what I would like to present to you this afternoon is a really a revolutionary understanding of Hanukkah, something I believe that uh, no one has ever heard before. And this is something that we encounter when we come to the words of the Shlach HaKadosh. And I'm just going to be going to the screen very briefly in case somebody wants to see some of the words inside. The Shlach HaKadosh in Masech Yuma makes a really an astounding comment. The Shlach uh, compares two Yamim Toivim, and he says that these two Yamim Toivim actually have a remarkable relationship with each other. And if I could show you the words, the Shla writes, Chanukah u'Purim heim shnei reim. Chanukah and Purim are two friends. And that language, that Chanukah and Purim are two friends, really struck a chord in me. That was something that really grabbed me. What exactly does it mean, Chanukah and Purim are two friends, as if these two Yamim Toivim have a relationship with each other. In fact, the Shla HaKadr says that the Zohar calls Chanukah and Purim Netzach and Hoid, which are two spheroids. And without getting into the uh, deep mystical meaning of what the spheroids are, but there's a concept that an Adam was created but Selim like him, a man was created in the image of God, and God, the way we imagine him, he is manifest through a system of spheroids, and the spheroids of Netzach and Hoid, which by the way are called the two thighs of this supernal being, are referred to as Chanukah and Purim. So Chanukah and Purim are, so to speak, two legs of the divine manifestation. So again, we see that Chanukah and Purim have this relationship with each other. They're somehow connected to each other. The Shloss says Chanukah and Purim are two Chaverim, two Reim. What exactly does this mean, that Chanukah and Purim are two Reim? In fact, if you look in the Sefer HaAkedah, the um, Akedah Yitzchak, or Rabbi Yitzchak Arama, 
Rabbi Yitzhak Arama says Chanukah and Purim are two Edim, two witnesses that the Rebun is with the Jewish people in the exile in the Golas. Because these are two Yom and Tovim that occurred when the Jewish people were, so to speak, at a time when, uh, not at a miraculous time in our history, this was not when God took us out of Mitzrayim, this was not when the first base Hamikdash stood. Chanukah and Purim were times, Purim took place when we were in Golos <coughs> Parasumadai, Chanukah took place during Golos Yavon. These are two miracles that took place in the times of the Golos, and they are Edim, they are witnesses that the Yavon is with us even in a time of Golos, even in a time of exile. In fact, Sfasemis elaborates that Chanukah and Purim are what illuminate the darkness of the Golos. So they're sort of two flashes of lightning during a time of exile, during a time of uh, divine uh, Golos. So again, we see there's this very special relationship between Chanukah and Purim. In a way, they are friends, they are Reim, they are Chaverim, they are called Netzach and Hoid, they are the two thighs, the two legs of the divine manifestation. They are two witnesses that testify that God is with us in the times of the Galas. So there's this unique relationship between Chanukah and Purim. And in fact, the Imre Emes elaborates even further that one thing these two Yom Tovim have in, uh, in common with each other is that if you look in Masech de Megillah, when Mordechai and Esther formulated and legislated the Yom Tif of Purim, it says Mordechai wanted it to be Simcha u'mishteh v'yom uh, a joyous feast and a mishteh and Yom Tif. Yom Tif literally means a holiday that we cannot do malacha. And yet later on in the Megillah, the Megillah says mishteh v'simcha and it omits Yom Tif. And the Gemara asks, Mordechai wanted it to be a yamtif. Why later on, when it talks about the legislation of the Megillah, does it not say that Purim was a yamtif? And the Gemara says that Mordechai wanted it to be a yamtif, and like Kiblu Alayu, the Jewish people did not accept it upon themselves as a yamtif. Why would the Jewish people not accept Purim as a yamtif? And we know Hanukkah as well is not a yamtif. We're allowed to do malacha. So that's another thing Hanukkah and Purim have in common. We may do malacha on these two days. Why? Why did the Jewish people never accept Purim as a yamtif? And the Imre Yemes says, because we are so connected to Hanukkah and Purim, that if it would be a yamtif, we would have to make havdalah when they're over. And a Jew can never bring themselves to be mavdil, to separate, uh, to cut themselves off from Hanukkah and Purim. After all, they are the light of our Golos. They testify that even in the darkness of Golos, the Rebbe is with us. And therefore, we didn't want them to be a Yomtev because then we would have to separate from them. We don't ever want to separate from Hanukkah and Purim. So this is a, a very inspiring concept that Hanukkah and Purim are two Yomim Toivim, sort of, that we never separate from. In fact, they're two friends. They are Netzach and Hoid, and let's try to explore this relationship between Hanukkah and Purim, how they interact with each other, and what this means for us for this upcoming Hanukkah. Havaleinu l'tayva. Yaakov Avinu was going into Golas for the first time, last week's parsha, and he's leaving his homeland. He's leaving uh, Beersheba, and he's headed to the north. He's headed to Haran. 
and he spends 22 years in Haran. Where after the 22 years of being with Lavan, Yaakov Avinu is, makes an about face and he heads back to the land of Israel and he's about to encounter his dear brother, Esav Harasha. Says Rabbachanon Vasserman Hashemim Kamdamai in the name of the Vilna Goyen, Yaakov Avinu's return to Eretz Yisrael, coming out of Golos, coming back to the Holy Land, was the Masay Avay Simen portends to the future of the Jewish people in the period immediately before the coming of Mashiach, the Ikvisa de Mashiach, the end of days, the Golos, the Golos. Yaakov returning to encounter Esav represents the Golos before the coming of Mashiach. Now, as Yaakov is returning to Eretz Yisrael, even before he encounters the wicked Esav, he has to face and he has to wrestle with Saroy Shal Esav, the angel of Esav. He actually has a wrestling match with the angel of Esav. It's interesting, I got a WhatsApp last week from a Jewish wrestler who asked for a rabbinic blessing that he should be successful in the wrestling rink. Now, I have to say that was the first time I ever received such a request. And I, I did have a hard time responding. But anyway, Yaakov Avinu is about to encounter the angel of Esav. And the Chafetz Chaim asks a very uh, jarring question. Ask the Chafetz Chaim, Avram Avinu is a very great man, and yet we do not find that the angel of Esav ever came to, you know, Avraham's hospitality tent and said, you know, Abraham, I can't stand you, all your mitzvahs, all your achnosas archim. I'm going to knock you out, I'm going to wrestle with you, I'm going to try to destroy you. The angel of Esav never attacked Avraham Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu, the semel of Tefillah, the semel of Avoida, he's davening mincha, he's, he's bound, so to speak, in divine service. Why don't we ever find that in the middle of Shemana Esrei, the angel of Esav comes and wants to wrestle with Yitzchak Avinu? No. Nobody messes with Avraham and nobody messes with Yitzchak, but all of a sudden Yaakov Avinu has to wrestle with the angel of Esav. Why? What's the reason for this? Says the Holy Chafetz Chaim, quoted by Rebbe Hanan. The Chafetz Chaim says, God loves Chesed. Oilam Chesed Yibane. Every day of our life, the Rav Chaim Vital says, one cannot let a day of their life go by without performing some type of Chesed. But the angel of Esau, the Malach HaMoves, the Yetzirah, can tolerate Chesed. He could deal with it. He could swallow it. You know why? Because Chesed is not a dagger in the heart of the Yetzirah. Chesed does not attack the Yetzirah. And the Yetzirah does not like tefillah. He doesn't like when someone is immersed and engaged and devoted to genuine tefillah. But the Yetzirah can be soivalet. He could be to- he could tolerate it because tefillah will not destroy the Yetzirah. But there is one mitzvah in the Torah that is so utterly destructive to the Yetzirah, which literally knocks the Yetzirah off his feet, which could spell the d- disaster to the Yetzirah, and that is the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. Torah is the antidote to the Yetzirah. The Gemara says in Kedushin, Barasi Yetzirah, Barasi Torah Tavlin. I created the angel the angel of death, I created the Yetzirah, I created Torah as the antidote. Excuse the expression, Torah is the kryptonite of the Yetzirah, and the Yetzirah knows it. And therefore, the Yetzirah doesn't like Avraham, but he could tolerate Avraham. 
He says, Abraham, I don't like you, but there's room in the world for me and for you. People could be involved in chesed, and I could still get them to slip up all day long and commit sins. I could tolerate Yitzchak Avinu. But Yaakov Avinu is the Ishtam Yoshev Avalam. Yaakov Avinu is the embodiment, the representative of Torah. Yaakov Avinu is devoted to in-depth Torah study. The Yitzhahara tells Yaakov, me and you cannot be around in the world at the same time. We cannot coexist. So the Yitzhahara comes and he tries to obliterate and destroy Yaakov Avinu because more than anything else, the threat, the greatest threat to the Yitzhahara is Limorata. Okay. With this introduction, friends, we can now understand and progress in the next tactic of the Yitzhahara. Because if we look at number three, for those who have access to the screen, apparently the Yitzhahara was unsuccessful in attacking Yaakov Avinu. He felt he cannot get Yaakov Avinu to interrupt his study of Torah. So how do we read this Pasuk? Vayar kilo yachalai. He saw that he would not prevail. Vayiga bechaf yerechai. So he struck him in the hip socket. Vateka kaf yerech Yaakov. And the hip socket of Yaakov dislocated when he wrestled with him. Apparently the Yitzhahara recognized that he would not be able to take Yaakov head on. He would not be able to interrupt his study of Torah. So instead, he struck him in the hip socket. What does it mean the Yitzhahara struck Yaakov Avinu in the hip socket? And for this we come to the amazing and fundamental and frightening explanation of the Zayra Kadash. Says the Holy Zayar. The Zayar says that even though Torah study is the antidote to the Yitzhahara and is the primary merit upon which the Jewish people stands, but those who study Torah need one basic necessity. They need financial support. Who's going to provide them with business opportunity? Who's going to provide them with the financial wherewithal and comfort to be able to continue uninterrupted and dedicated to Limana Torah? Says the Zayar, what weakens the Jewish people and what weakens the Torah is not the lack of intensity of those who study the Torah because they are fully devoted. What weakens the Jewish people and the Torah more than anything else is lack of of financial support. Because when there's inadequate financial support, the Torah cannot continue and continue to flourish. Says the Zayar HaKadosh, and these are not my words. The main reason the Jewish people have been persecuted in the Golos is lack of willingness and lack of generosity to support the study of Torah. Yes, says the Zayar. There's so many worthy causes in the Jewish people. Whether to help the sick, to help the poor, to help with emotional needs, to help people with whatever it may be, family life, children, shaduchim. But the, they are not kulam ahuvim, kulam berurim, kulam kadoshim. They're all great, worthy, honorable, and they deserve our support. But says the Zayar, none of them are of the most paramount importance. What is the most important, primary source? What is the primary avenue and address that our tzedakah and our chesed should be devoted to? Number one, tamide chachamim, 
Yeshivois Kailalem, to support Talmatira. Says the Zayar, the nations of the world strengthen every day when we are lax in the support of Tyra. Says the Zayar, it doesn't matter if you learn Tyra yourself, you're still not exempt from supporting the Tyra. And then the Zayar says something very frightening. He says there's this uh, dynamic duo of destruction called the Samachmem. The Samachmem is the angel of Esav. But he, need a, he needs a mode of transportation. He needs a mode of getting from one place to the other. The Samach Mem, the angel of Esav, literally travels on the Nachash, the snake. But the good news is that <clears throat> the snake is handicapped because God told the snake, Al you gotta go on your stomach, you gotta slither on your belly. So how far can the snake get? And therefore, the Samach Mem is also limited as his mode of transportation is limited. However, it is up to us because when we use our Yadayim to support Torah and we allow the Koyal Yaakov to flourish, then the snake remains without any legs and hands to stand on. When we take our hands and we open up our hands and we support Torah, the snake is handicapped and he cannot transport the angel of death. But when we are lax, when we are stingy, when we are generous to every cause in the world other than the support of Torah, then our hands are handicapped and we give legs for the snake to stand on, says Isaiah. The snake has no legs to stand on other than if we don't use our hands to support Tamid Chachamim and Limad Torah, we empower the snake. He then puts the Samach Mem on his back and they are able to destroy the Jewish people. Says the Holy Zohar, in the end of days, the Jews will have a lot of merit, but they'll be very hesitant and reticent when it comes to the support of Torah. That will empower the angel of Esau, empower the nations of the world, and keep the Jewish people in exile until we're able to learn the lesson that the strength of the Jewish people emanates from those who study and teach Torah, and that emanates from those who support the Torah. This says the Zayar, is what Esav tried to, the angel of Esav tried to accomplish. Let's take a look at the Pasuk. Vayar kilo He saw he would not get Yaakov to stop learning Torah. So you know what he did? Vayiga bekaf yerechai. He struck the Jewish people in their hip socket. Not our mouth. We're still learning. But what we stand on, what do we stand on? We stand on financial support. The angel of Esau exerts almost all of his influence to try to cut off financial support from the learning of Torah. That's how he dislocated the hip socket of Yaakov Avinu. And therefore, says the Zayar, until Mashiach comes in the end of days, we'll be wallowing until the Jewish people are able to galvanize and support Torah generously. Okay. So you're thinking to yourself, what in the world does this got to do with Hanukkah? So it's interesting. The Zayar says that the angel of Esav, Esav tried to cut off Tamchin Da'iraisa, the support of Torah. That is the main, that is the soft underbelly, if we could call it, of the Jewish people. Tamchin Da'iraisa, the support of Torah. The Bnei Yisoscha writes that since Hanukkah and Purim, 
are what we call Netzach and Hoid, the two legs of the divine being, they too are called Tamachim Da'iraisa. Chanukah and Purim also uphold the whole Torah. And that's a very interesting expression. How do Chanukah and Purim uphold the ty- whole Torah? In what way are they the supporters of Torah? Chanukah and Purim are the supporters of Torah. And in fact, the Bnei Yisachar writes, that's why on Purim we give Matanus of Yoyin and we try to support Tamir Chachamim. And on Chanukah as well, there is a special emphasis on the support of Torah. But let's explore this idea that Chanukah and Purim are the two legs upon which the Torah stands on. And in that case, clearly, if we would want to know what did Esav try to destroy, well, if according to the Zoyar, Esav tried to destroy the support of Torah, the pillars of Torah, Esav then in his assault of Yaakov, in other words, when Esav meets Yaakov, and the angel of Esav meets Yaakov, it would seem that Esav tried to destroy the following two Yomim Toivim, Chanukah and Purim. Because if Esav tried to destroy the support of Torah, and the support of Torah and the pillars of Torah are Chanukah and Purim, Esav then was out to destroy these two holidays, these two Yomim Toivim, but friends, let's ask ourselves, where do we find that Esav tried to destroy Chanukah and Purim? And with this we come to one of the astounding gematrios of Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld. By the way, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld was known to have divinely inspired gematrios. I'll share with you a few quick ones. You know, Kabbalah Shabbos, Friday night, we say uh, five Mizmarim of Tehillim before L'Chadoidi. And then after L'chadoidi, we say two mizmarim of Tehillim. And one may ask, you know, where do we get that formula from? Why do we have uh, those, for, why, why do we have those chapters of Tehillim? Says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld, am- amazingly, if you add up the number of words in the five chapters of Tehillim that we say before Kabbalah Shabbos, and the two chapters we say after Kabbalah Shabbos, we have 702 words. Gematria Shabbos. Amazing. <laughs> Kabbalah Shabbos consists of the recitation of 702 words of Tehillim equal to Shabbos. Shabbos is Gematria, 702. I'll tell you one other before we get to uh, the one at hand. Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld davened Nusach Ashkenaz. However, he always appreciated davening in a Nusach Sfarad Shul because he liked to say Musaf on Shabbos. He liked to say Keser. Keser, Yitnu Lecha Hashem and Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld sort of revealed the secret, the depth of the tefillah Kesar. He said as follows. How many Shmon Esrei's do we say a day? Three Shmon Esrei's a day. How many brachas do they have? Nineteen. Nineteen times three is fifty-seven. Twice a day, Shachar Semencha, we say Chazar Sashatz. That's another nineteen and nineteen, another thirty-eight. That's 57 and 38, 95. Every day of the week, we make 95 brachos of Shemona Esrei. We do that six days a week. Six times 95 is 570. In the six working days, we make 570 blessings in Shemona Esrei. What about Shabbos? Shabbos we say four tefillahs. Marev, Shachris, Mosof, Mincha. Seven brachos in each, 28. 
That gets us up to 598. We have three Chazars Hashas. Shachris, Mosaf, Mincha. 21. That's 619. That means in the course of the week, we say 619 blessings in Shemona Esrei. What happens to those blessings? God takes every one of those brachas. Yerban Shalom takes every one of those brachas and He weaves them together to produce Keser 620. When we say Keser in Musaf on Shabbos, that is, 600, that is the 620th praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, weaving together the 619 brachas that we say in the course of the week, making a crown for the Yerban Shalom. Well, Says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zanafeld, when Yaakov Avinu was struck by the angel of Esav, it says, Vayiga Bechaf Yerechai. The word Vayiga is Gematria 89. Chanukah. Kaf Yerechai is Gematria 369. Purim. Unbelievable. Says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zanafeld, 336. Says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zanafeld, the angel of Esau tried to destroy Yaakov. He couldn't do it. Yaakov would not interrupt from the study of Torah. Instead, he went after Tamchin Da'iraisa, the support of the Torah, the pillars of the Torah. What are the pillars of the Torah? The financial support of the Torah. But mystically, allegorically, the two pillars of the Torah, Vayiga, 89, Gematria Chanukah, Kaf Yerechai, 336, Gematria Purim. And now we have to understand, why would Esav want to destroy Hanukkah and Purim? And how do Hanukkah and Purim uphold the whole Torah? Because what we're learning today is that if you wanted to go up to Shemayim and see, Alma HaTorah Oymed, what does the Torah stand on? It stands on two pillars, Hanukkah and Purim. How does it stand on Hanukkah and Purim? So the Gemara says in Masech Yuma and Daf excuse me. There's a chapter in Tehillim, the 22nd chapter in Tehillim. It's called It's all about the miracle of Purim and it compares Esther to the morning star. And the Gemara asks, how is Esther like the morning star? And the Gemara says very simply, just like the morning star is the end of the night, Esther was the last miracle. The final miracle in Tanakh is Esther. And the Gemara asks, what are you talking about? That's historically inaccurate. Esther is not the final miracle. The final miracle is Hanukkah. Esther took place in the 70 years between Bayes Rishon and Bayes Sheni. Hanukkah took place 200 years into Bayes Sheni. So Hanukkah is the final miracle. And the Gemara says something very strange. Nitain likosev ka'amrina. You're right, Hanukkah happened later. But we're not allowed to write down the miracle of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is not written. Purim is written. The last miracle written in the Torah, in the Tanakh, is the story of Purim. Hanukkah is a great miracle. It happened after Purim. Hanukkah is not written. Purim is recorded. Hanukkah is not recorded. But that begs the question... <laughs> Why is Purim recorded and Hanukkah not recorded? Why don't we have a record of Hanukkah in the Tanakh? Now, interestingly, there is something called Megillas Antiochus. And Megillas Antiochus, in some communities, they had a custom to read 
Megillus Antiochus on Hanukkah. And this is recorded by the Toysus Rid in Masechta Sukkah. In fact, the Toysus Rid discusses whether it's appropriate to make a bracha on the reading of Megillus Antiochus. The Siddur Oitzat Philos writes that in some communities they had a custom to read Megillus Antiochus after Kaddish Tiskabel. By the way, the Temanim, they read Megillus Antiochus. Ad Kedekach. Now, um, I don't believe, probably most of uh, you listening today, you live in Flatbush. I grew up in Flatbush. I've been around a little bit. I've never been to a shul where they read Megillus Antiochus. Um, whether that's because Shabbos Hanukkah, they get a, a chazan who likes to be marachzain, and he says a long halal, and Miketz is a long parsha. And if anyone would dare read and make the davening any longer, there would be an uprising. I can't tell you the reason. But as far as I know, Megillus Antiochus is not read in any shul, not in Flatbush, not in Borough Park, not in Williamsburg, and uh, not anywhere else that I'm aware of. And the question is, why not? In fact, the grandson of the Noid Vihuda asks, there should be a biblical obligation to read Megillus Antiochus because the Gemara Megillah says that the reason why we read Megillus Esther is uh, there's a Kavachomer. If when God took us out of Egypt, which was from slavery to freedom, we had to sing Shira. So when God saved our life in the time of Haman, all the more so we're required to sing Shira. So Rev Landau, the grandson of Judah, asks, by the same token, the same way we read Megillas Esther on Purim, we should be obligated to read Megillas Antiochus on Purim. And yet, in Ruba, Deruba, and the vast majority of Jewish shuls, shtibos, congregations worldwide, 99 out of 100 shuls are not reading Megillas Antiochus on Purim. Why not? And what I would like to present to you this afternoon is that if we understand the depth of Hanukkah, Reading Megillas Antiochus on Hanukkah would be v- antithetical to the very essence of what the Yom Tov of Hanukkah is. Let's ask ourselves the question, why is the story of Hanukkah not recorded in Tanakh? Let's ask ourselves further, did you know that for the Christians, the book of the Maccabees is actually part of the New Testament? The Hanukkah story is part of their liturgy and their Bible, and it's not part of ours. Isn't that counterintuitive? Why would the Christians codify and redact and canonize the the Hanukkah story as part of their Bible? And in our Tanakh, in the Holy Tanakh, in the Scriptures, there's no mention of Hanukkah. So the Ben Yehoyada says a very important historical fact, and then we're going to see what Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonfeld says about this. And I believe we're going to present a perspective of Hanukkah that nobody ever heard before. The Ben Yehoyada writes, there's a very simple reason why Purim is recorded in Tanakh and Hanukkah is not recorded in Tanakh. Because even if I'm personally a very good writer, or you're a very good writer, and you could write a good story, an intriguing story, a captivating story, it's not Torah. Torah means that the Rebbeinu Shalom comes to a person through the ages of prophecy and divinely inspires one's writing. 
That's what Ksuvim are. That, that is what the uh, Mishle, Eoiv, Tehillim, this is Ksuvim. It's divinely inspired writing. You know why Purim is canonized in Tanakh? Because it happened in the time of the Anshei Knesset Hagdoila. It happened in a time where the Yibam Shom was communicating with Basar Vadam with people. Mordechai was a Navi. Esther was a Navi. Ezra was a Navi. Daniel was possibly a Navi. So since the miracle happened during that time, the miracle could be recorded with divinely inspired writing and then it could be incorporated in the Tanakh because the Tanakh does not allow entrance to every writer. Tanakh only allows entrance to someone who writes Baruch HaKodesh. And the Purim story occurred in the period of history where there was still prophecy for the Jewish people. Fast forward 200 years in the times of Hanukkah. Yes, there were Chashmanoim, and yes, there was a base Hamikdash, but no, God stopped talking to man. Prophecy ceased. The institution of prophecy stopped. So it doesn't matter that we have a Megillah Antiochus, and it doesn't matter who wrote Megillah Antiochus. It was not written with prophecy, and therefore it cannot be canonized as part of Tanakh. Says the Ben Yoyada, Purim is part of Tanakh because it was written in Nevuah, Chanukah, Nevuah ceased, so it cannot be part of Tanakh. I once had the privilege to hear from Harava Vigdor Miller, Zechat That is the very reason why the Christians put the story of Chanukah into the New Testament. Because they have to answer the most basic question on their religion. And that is, God spoke to Malachi. He spoke to Esther. He spoke to Mordechai. And then God took a 500 year vacation until he spoke to Isaiah. Isn't that strange? Isn't that a dagger into the foundation of their religion? That how could it be God spoke to Isaiah? He hadn't spoken to man for 500 years. So you know how they answer that question? They very conveniently appendage every miraculous story that they could come up with and attach it to the Old Testament to try to bridge the gap from the, the, the last prophets to Isaiah Ho'ish. But it is our most fundamental principle of the Torah that after the Purim story, God stopped speaking to man. Nevuah ended. That is the pillar upon which the entire Torah rests. You know why? Because if you mistakenly think that God continues to speak to man after Purim, then he came to Isaiah and he told Isaiah you know, you don't have to keep the law anymore. Abdicate the Torah. Abdicate the law. Their entire religion is predicated on bridging the gap between the last prophets and their supposed Oisoyhoish. And our religion is based on the absolute truth that after the Purim story, God came to a man by the name of Malachi. Malachi was Ezra, the last prophet. And what were the closing prophecies of Malachi? And by the way, if you never heard this before, these are literally the two most fundamental principles in the Torah. So there's somebody called God, the Rebbeinu Shalom, right? We wake up in the morning, our Creator. And He spoke to Nevi'im for, from the time of Avraham Avinu until Malachi. And He tells Malachi two very important pieces of information. This is the last communication 
between the Ebeshter, between the Rebbeinishlam and Adam. He said, number one, Zichru Toiras Moshe Avdi, the Shlach other says. God told Ezra, you must keep the law. Why is that the last thing God told the Jewish people? Because he knows in 500 years, people are going to claim that God communicated with man to abdicate the law. So Shalom says, in my closing remarks to you, Zichru Toiras Moshe, Remember the law. You have to keep every da'iraisa, drabanon, minhag. You have to be punctilious about every minutia of every halacha. And the next important thing you need to know is adios, Klal Yisrael. I will not be speaking to you again until Goodbye, so long, until I speak next to Elijah the prophet in 2,000 years. And yes, 500 years later, someone will claim I spoke to them, and it's a bunch of rubbish. These are the last closing remarks between the Rebbe Nishlam and Klal Yisrael. Number one, you have to keep the halacha, zichru toras moishe. And number two, hine onoichi sholeach lochem es anovi. These are the last two psukim of Tanakh. Don't abdicate the law, and don't accept anything any prophet tells you from today on until Elio Anovi comes. That's why the Christian world appendages the story of Hanukkah to their Bible to bridge the gap between the close, close the cessation of prophecy and Isaiah Ish. Comes Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, the Shoimrei Achoimrei, the guardian of yeah, Torah, true Judaism in Eretz Yisrael in the last century, says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld. Chanukah and Purim are the two pillars of the Torah. You know how? Because the two Yom and Toivim contradict each other. Because on Purim we have a miraculous story and we read the Megillah. And on Chanukah we have a miraculous story and we don't read the Megillah. Why? <laughs> we have two miraculous holidays. We have two Yom and Toivim. God saved us both of them miraculously. One we read a, a big scroll publicly and the other one Nothing. You know why? It must be because Nevoah stopped. Prophecy stopped. And if prophecy stopped, then all religions that come after Judaism are false, are Sheker v'chazav, have no basis, are, have no basis in reality and no basis in truth. It is the seeming contradiction of Hanukkah and Purim. They're two miraculous events. One we read about, one we don't read about. Purim we read about, Hanukkah we don't read about. And that forces us to say that there was a line in the sand that can never be crossed. Nevoah stopped. And therefore, Hanukkah is not part of Tanakh. And therefore, the book of the Maccabees are not part of Tanakh. And therefore, all future human beings that claim divine communication are false. They're all charlatans. They're all liars. Chanukah and Purim hold up our Torah because without them we don't have this evidence of the cessation of prophecy. And therefore, the very definition of Chanukah is we cannot read Megillah Santiaches. Now, I'm sure you heard different mnemonics for Chanukah. You never heard this. Says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld, how many books in Tanakh are there? 24 books of Tanakh. How about Megillah Antiochus? No! If 
we put in Megillus Antiochus, we're going to shake up the whole Torah. Because people are going to say, God continues to communicate with man. The very definition of Chanukah is, Tanakh has ended. Chanu, Chafhei. There are 24 books of Tanakh, and they stopped when they got to the 25th book. They cut it off. They said, Megillus Antiochus, you're out. Chanu, Chafhei. The very essence of Chanukah is nothing from now on could be added to the Holy Tanakh. Not this book of the Maccabees, not Ben Sira, not any book of wisdom, and not even Megillah Antiochus. That's the definition of Chanukah. Because Purim we read a book. Chanukah we don't read a book. In fact, Chanukah means Chanu Chafhei. They stopped when they got to the 25th book of Tanakh. No more, only 24. Five books of the Chumash, eight Nevi'im. Then you have six Ksuvim and five Megillas. But not six Megillas. Chanu Chafhei, says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld. Chanukah stands for, get a load of this, Ches Nevi'im, Vav Kisuvim, Hey Megillas. That's what Chanukah is. I would humbly suggest that's why we cannot read Megillah, Santiochus, and Hanukkah. It would be the very antithesis of the very definition of Hanukkah. Hanukkah means no Megillah, Santiochus. Hanukkah means we cannot add to Tanakh. And says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld, that is how Hanukkah and Purim are the two pillars of the Torah. Because let anybody come later. He could be called Oisei Ha'ish. He could be from the Noitzrim. He could be from the Yishma'elim. If anybody ever says, well, God spoke to me, we say one simple question. Purim, yes. Chanukah, no. You know why? Because God stopped speaking when he spoke to Malachi and he told him two things. Zichru Tairas Moshe, remember the law, never abdicate the halacha. It could be 2,000 years later. We are just as punctilious in the detail of every halacha as we were 2,000 years ago. And number two, next time we meet is Hinei Anochi Shaleach Lachem Esel Yohanavi. This, says Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonfeld, is the very definition of Chanukah. Chanu Chavhei. They stopped when they got to the 25th book. Ches, Nevi'im, Vav, Kesuvim, Hey, Megillahis. To read Megillah Santiochus and Chanukah would be the very antithesis of Chanukah. I would humbly suggest that Esav, who by the way, the student of the Ramchal writes, was none other than Yeshu Hanoitzri, was the Gilgal of Esav. He was the forerunner of Christianity. If there are any two institutions in Klal Yisrael that bothered him so deeply, that that taught him, that demonstrated the fallacy of his religion, it would be Chanukah and Purim. And therefore, Vayiga is Gematria Chanukah, Kaf Yerecha is Gematria Purim. If there's anything that was a thorn in the side of Esav HaRasha, it's Chanukah and Purim. Because Chanukah and Purim together are the pillars of our Torah. Chanukah and Purim together are the biggest dagger into the very fabric of what Esav represented. And therefore, it's so interesting, we now understand the relationship between Chanukah and Purim. They're two friends. They're our friends. They're the friends of the Torah HaKadoshah. We could suggest very briefly 
You know, the um, if you look in Parshas Emar, which is the Parsha of the Moyadim, so first it talks about Pesach, and then Shavuos, and then Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, all the Yom Tavim and Dairaisa. Immediately after that is the Yikhoi Lech Hashem and Zayisach. Right after the discussion of Sukkot is the discussion of lighting the menorah. So even though this is not an, uh, an overt mention to Hanukkah, it's talking about lying the menorah in the base of Mikdash, it's a remez to Hanukkah. In fact, the Rekach writes, because Hanukkah is alluded to in the Torah right after Sukkot, they modeled Hanukkah after Sukkot. Hanukkah, uh, Sukkot is eight days, Hanukkah is eight days. Sukkot, we say complete halal. Hanukkah, we say complete halal. And right after the discussion of lighting the menorah is the discussion of the Lechem HaPonim in Parshas Amar. And the Lechem HaPonim is a reference to a Suda. A Suda refers to Suda's Purim. So it's interesting. Even in the Torah, the remes to the two Yamun Tovim of Hanukkah and Purim are back to back. Hanukkah lighting the menorah and Purim the Shulchan in the Beis HaMikdash. Amazingly, if one were to walk into the Beis HaMikdash, into the Hechal, on their right side, they would see the Shulchan they would see the table. They would see the, the Shulchan and the Beis HaMikdash. And on the left, they would see the Menorah. And in between them was the Mizbeach HaKetores. And the Gemara asks, is the Mizbeach HaKetores interposing between the Menorah and the Shulchan? And the Gemara says, no, it needs to be a little bit further back because the Shulchan and the Menorah must be able to see each other, which also strengthens this notion that the Shulchan, which is Purim, and the Menorah, which is Hanukkah, they have to inter- interact with each other. They're, these are two friends. These are two Chaverim. They uphold the whole Torah. Because when we look at Purim and we ask, Purim has a Megillah. Why doesn't Hanukkah have a, a, a Megillah? And the only answer is because there was no more n- prophecy in the Jewish people. And Chanu Chafei, they stopped when they got to the 25th book. When they got to Ches Nevi'im, Vav Ksuvim, Hey Megillos, they stopped. That is the fundamental principle that upholds the entire Torah. And this may be the deeper meaning that these two Yom Tovim are the light in our Golos. Because the Golos is very dark. We're presented and challenged with ideas, religions, and we, we sometimes are not clear how do we respond and the answer, the light of how we respond is Chanukah and Purim. Chanukah and Purim teach us there was a period in history that Rav Shalom did communicate with man. But God stopped communicating to Malachi. He told Malachi, Zichru Torah Moshe, and he told Malachi, Hine Anoichi Sholeach Lachem Yisrael Yohanavi. Rabbeinu Mechaye writes, Chanukah means inauguration because it will inaugurate in the coming of the third Beis HaMikdash. So may we be Zoicha that until that great day comes, we hold steadfast to the last words God told the Jewish people, which are Zichru Tairas Moshe and Hine Anoichi Shaleach Lachemes Eliyahu until the great Chanukah, until the great inauguration of the third Beis Hamikdash, Shayavai Vimhera Biyamenu. Wishing everyone a Freilach and Chanukah. Thanks so much for joining. If anybody wants to uh, read this inside, it's in the, uh, a new book called The Light and the Splendor, just published by Art Scroll. It's available on the Art Scroll website, as well as on our new website, rabbidg.com. 
And also there's another new sefer on uh, the Tana of Meir Balanes and the Rebun Shalom's love for Klal Yisrael in Lashon HaKodesh. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mrs. Goldman. Thank you to Rachel's place. And uh, until next time, wishing everyone a Freilich and Chanukah. Shkoyach.